The text for this afternoon's sermon is Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where the church summarizes and confesses the teaching of Holy Scripture about the satisfaction of God's justice in Christ. So that's on page 521. Lord's Day 5, here the church confesses the teaching of Scripture, summarizes the teaching of Scripture in the following way. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Thus far the reading of the Confession of the Church. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first step in solving a problem is to recognize that you have one. You can't solve a problem if you haven't acknowledged the problem. And that would seem obvious, but yet the sinful human heart spends an awful lot of time and energy in denial. We pretend things away. We try to convince ourselves and others that there is no problem. Whatever the problem is, an addiction to shopping or consumerism, an addiction to drugs, porn, alcohol, a broken relationship that needs healing, maybe the sin of, of gossip, anger, bitterness, covetousness, gluttony, extravagance, maybe the irrepressible urge to lie, whatever it is. We prefer to pretend things away rather than to deal with them. And we are silly and infantile sinners. A little child shuts her eyes and thinks when, when she shuts her eyes, no one can see her. And so we sinners shut our eyes to our problems and we think they've disappeared. We think they'll go away. Are you doing that? in your life? Maybe you ought to be in the Conquer series, or in life renewal, or in rehab, or in counseling. Maybe you need to make an appointment to talk to your pastor, to your elder about something that you've been pretending away. Stop pretending. Stop fooling yourself. Deal with the sin. That's the only way. In Lord's Day 5, that's exactly what we have. 
The sinner, as we've gone through the first part of the Catechism on our misery, sinner misery, the sinner has been trying every which way to avoid accepting responsibility for the problem, to avoid acknowledging there was a problem in the first place. But by the time we get to Lord's Day 5, finally, this, the questioner has been forced to acknowledge the problem. And this is the problem. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. That's the problem. We stand before God condemned as sinners, and we deserve punishment temporal in this life, in time, and punishment forever in eternity. That's the problem for the sinner. We are at the bottom of a pit, an abyss of our own making. We are broken. We are ruined beyond any hope of repair that is within our power the life of the sinner, with all its pains, all its ills, all its afflictions, is already a taste, a bitter foretaste in this life of the eternal punishment which awaits us in the next. There is a huge tidal wave of God's righteous judgment poised over the abyss into which humans have plunged ourselves. And Chunks of judgment break off and fall down from time to time, causing sinners to cry out in terror. These are just a taste of what is to come. Every catastrophe, every ill which is visited upon the world is just a taste of what is coming. When the full burden of God's righteous wrath will come crashing down on a world of sin, and bury sinners in eternal death and destruction. That's the problem for fallen, sinful human beings. And in question and answer 12, the sinner finally gets real, gets honest, and accepts the truth. This is who I am. This is where I am. This is what I can expect this is what I deserve. Is there any way out? And that is exactly where we need to be as sinners. That is exactly why our evangelism, our, the evangelism, of course, is spreading good news. That's why the good news must begin by sharing the bad news. We must begin at the beginning. When the sinner comes to understand his lostness, his fallenness, to understand that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. When the sinner understands that he is ungodly, that he is unrighteous, that he is included in that mass of fallen humanity of which God declares that there is none which is righteous, no, not one, and that for those who obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury when the sinner sees that he lives in the city of destruction and that the day of the Lord is coming, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of judgment and wrath, when the sinner comes to terms with these awful truths, then a glorious gospel opportunity is opened up. For now, by God's grace, he may be driven 
to cry out with the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And the answer of the Bible is clear. Romans chapter 2 tells us that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice sin. There is no escape from God's judgment. God's justice must be satisfied. This is important. The Bible does not say to unrepentant sinners, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. We hear that out there in Christendom, in modern Christianity, but that's not what the Bible says. You want to know what the Bible says? You look at Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, where the apostle says this to unrepentant sinners. He says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So much of what calls itself the modern church says to unrepentant sinners, God loves you. The Bible says to the unrepentant sinner, you're storing up God's wrath for judgment. So who are we going to go with? God is perfect and infinite in his being. He is perfect and infinite in his love. And he is perfect and infinite in his justice. He's not going to stop being God in order to save sinners. He can't stop being righteous. He can't stop being just. He cannot acquit the wicked. He will by no means clear the guilty. His justice must be satisfied. We're going to make full payment, either by ourselves or through another. So the questioner in question answer 13 says, well, let's make, let's make this happen then. If that's going to happen, let's do it. Can we pay? Can we bear the awful burden of God's eternal wrath against our sin? Well, the Bible says no. We can't even get close. Imagine that we had a credit card, and we were in debt. We owed a lot of money on that credit card. The bill, let's say it was 10 billion dollars. Well, if you have a credit card debt of $10 billion, then depending on which bank you're with, roughly speaking, the interest comes to about $200 million a month. And so you can't even afford to pay the interest, let alone pay off the principal. And that's how it is with our sin. We Oh, such a great debt to God for our sin. But we can't even begin to pay that because every day we sin and we accumulate more righteous judgment. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 130, he says, Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And the answer is clear. No one. And so we can't pay. 
And so the questioner goes on in question and answer 14, well, what about some other creature then? If we can't do it, maybe somebody can pay for us. And he's certainly getting warmer. He's getting closer to the answer because we do need help and we need lots of help. But the question is, where does the help come from? From whom? Now, there are so many religions which involve some kind of sacrifice in order to placate the gods, to appease the wrath of the gods. So many religions which say you just kill this animal, kill that animal, and the God will be your friend again. But is that possible for us? Is that an option for us? You know, if, if, if killing a goat or a chicken or a moose or a bull in front of the church here in public worship, if that would really wash away our sins, then believe me, we would have a lot of carcasses right here at the front, wouldn't we? If that really washed away our sins, that's what we would be doing. But we're not doing it, are we? And there's a reason for that. Because the Bible says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There is no sacrifice of an animal that can possibly wash us clean. And there are reasons for that. The Bible says, for instance, that the soul that sins shall die. Humans have sinned. Humans must pay the penalty. No one else. Not angels, not animals, not any other creature. Humans must pay. And secondly, no mere creature can bear an infinite, eternal punishment. You, you see, every creature is limited. And so if there was a creature which was merely a creature, even if that creature had no sin, if that creature tried to take the wrath of God upon a number which no man can number, all the elect of God, if they tried to take the wrath of God, they would never be able to pay it because it's infinite and they are limited. What does the psalm say? We, saw, we sang Psalm 75, right? The Psalm 75 speaks about God who executes judgment. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And the cup of the wrath of God, when it is drunk by sinners, will never be emptied. That's what hell is. There's always more. There will always be more righteous judgment into all eternity because no limited creature can possibly bear the wrath of God for themselves, let alone bear it for others to deliver them from it. And so no mere creature can pay for us. And so that brings us to question and answer 15. It drives us to the only answer. What kind of a mediator and deliverer must we seek? Well, we need a deliverer. And nowadays, that's kind of an old-fashioned use of the word, right, kids? Like, nowadays, if I say that you will be delivered, you think of, of being a package, right? Like Amazon delivery. But the word deliverer here in the catechism means someone who saves us. Someone who saves us, that's what a deliverer is, sets us free. 
And then a mediator is someone who comes between two opposing parties to reconcile them. So who can set us free? Who can deliver us from the wrath to come? And who can stand between a holy God and condemn sinners? Well, we can't do that. And no mere creature can do that. We need a special type of mediator and deliverer with a very unique set of gifts and capabilities. He has to be a true human being. The Bible says the human race sinned, the human race must pay the penalty for sin. So our Savior needs to be human. But that's not enough. Because a human is limited. And a human cannot bear an eternal punishment by themselves or for themselves, let alone bear an infinite eternal punishment of hell for me and for you. So our Savior needs to be not only human, but also truly divine. Because only the power of God can save us. Only the power of God can shield us from the terrible weight of the wrath of God, which threatens to crush us. And so we need a deliverer, and we know who that is. We need Christ, the only one who is true man and true God. The more we understand that this world is slated for destruction to be burned in the fire of God's righteous wrath, the more we will be driven to seek Christ, to know Christ, and to find our refuge in Christ. Now, the Catechism speaks about temporal and eternal punishment. We look around the world and we see that those bowls of wrath are being already poured out upon the earth as we see the signs of the impending judgment of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead as we confessed earlier in the service. And so we see the world roiling, the nations are at war, there is evil, there is wickedness, there is corruption in high places, there are kingdoms tottering, economies falling, strange and fearful new diseases cropping up, there are massacres and genocides and typhoons and hurricanes and earthquakes and famines and the threat of economic collapse, there is the threat of nuclear war. And these are just signs of God's judgment, of God's impending wrath. It's going to get a lot worse at Judgment Day. Now, there are two ways to deal with this. There's the right way and the wrong way. And the wrong way we can see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 10. Revelation 16, 10 is an example of the wrong reaction to the signs of God's impending judgment. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So that's the wrong reaction. They're tasting already here in time the temporal judgments of God. And instead of turning to God in repentance, they shake their fist at God and they blame him. I knew a man many years ago who was dying of a cancer of the tongue. 
His tongue was literally falling to pieces in his mouth. And with the little bit of tongue that he had left, he cursed God. He shook his fist at heaven. And he blamed God for the consequences of human sin. That's the wrong reaction. The better one is the one we read about in the first chapter of the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. You remember there in verse 9, chapter 1? He talks about the Thessalonians that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's how the Bible describes Christians. Christians are those whose citizenship is in heaven, and from it they eagerly await a Savior. Christians are those who long for Christ's appearing. Is that you? Do you long for the Lord Jesus to come back? Do you eagerly await a Savior as you realize that you belong in the new heavens and the new earth? And that you're just a pilgrim in this world? My brother, my sister, don't get so caught up in the darkness that you forget to await the coming of the light. The Bible says that we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We are not of the night. We know that sudden destruction is coming upon this earth and we know that the wicked will not escape, but we are not in darkness for that day to surprise us like a thief. We are children of the light, children of the day. That's what Paul writes in that fifth chapter. God has not destined us for wrath. Do you hear that, child of God? We've been talking a lot about wrath. It's not for you. God has not destined us for wrath. You've got a mark on your forehead which says that wrath is not for you. God has destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means this, that we have a mediator, that we have a deliverer, that Jesus Christ has reconciled us to the Father, that Jesus Christ has delivered us, he's saved us, he's shielded us, he's protected us from the wrath to come. So whether we are alive when the Lord returns, or whether God takes us from this life into his presence, we do not fear judgment. Because Jesus has paid for all my sins. Did you have the Lord's Supper this morning? Did you hear it? The blood poured out for the forgiveness of how many sins? Some of them, all of them, most of them, all of them. He has paid for all my sins. Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath that we sang about in Psalm 75. He drank it all the way to the bottom. There's no drop left in it. He drank it to the last drop. There's no judgment left for you in that cup. There's no wrath left 
It's empty. It's all gone. All that's left for you, child of God, is that cup that you saw this morning, that cup overflowing with God's love. That's all that's left. God's pure, infinite, eternal, unfailing, divine love towards you in Jesus Christ. That's what's for you. That's what we await. That's what awaits us as we wait for Jesus to return and to bring us, to usher us in to the eternal presence of the Father, to welcome us home. Our works cannot avert our doom. The law can save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who for his people did atone. He is our one Redeemer. Amen. Well, let's sing those words from hymn 28. We'll sing stanzas one through to four of hymn 28. <laughs>